I'd love to get to know you either playing spike ball or we can hang out. Go, I'd love to go off-roading or I'd love to go to a shooting range or we can, whatever you want to do, I am down to do it with you and hang out. Um, I love to exercise. I don't like weightlifting, as is <laughs> clearly seen. But other, other forms of exercise I want to do. So, hey, love to get to know you more. Um, hope you had a great first couple of days back in, uh, back in Las Cruces or in Las Cruces for the first time. Um, man, it's great to be back on campus. I have been longing for to be in this room for 18 months. We, uh, I mean, some of you who are new, we haven't been in this building for a long time, and this is a really sweet space. Um, so I'm thankful we're happy we can be here. RUF, uh, Reformed University Fellowship, we are a Christian ministry uh, for students at New Mexico State and at Doña Ana Community College. Um, and so we do a lot of fun things, like Jess said. We've got a conference coming up in September um, that we are going to go to Capitan, uh, New Mexico, which is about two hours that way. And so we're going to play there. They've got a bunch of fun stuff to do. We've got a big conference with a bunch of other schools in uh, Dece um, January and December, December and January, um, in California. And then we do a bunch of fun stuff. So hang out with us. You'll get the feel for it. Um, and uh, yeah, so, but first and foremost, we are a Christian group. Uh, we're a group of students who are seeking to explore what is the Bible, what does it say, and why does it matter? Um, so for some of you here, that's why you're here. You're coming in as a Christian saying, I want to grow as a Christian. Uh, for some of you, that's a really big turnoff, <laughs> and I get that. Uh, some of you are coming in saying, I've had really bad experiences with faith, with Christianity, with white pastors, with pastors in general. Um, and so I get that. I understand that we're bringing, some of us are bringing some baggage in. Um, and I'll say that we are a Christian group and we want to explore earnestly and sincerely the claims of Christianity, wrestle with the Bible, and uh, bring our own experiences of hurt and hope uh, into, this, into this time. Uh, and tonight as we study the Bible, I hope we can make a little bit of that. And so we're going to study this semester. We're going to study the book of Matthew. Some of you have read the book of Matthew a bunch. Some of you have never cracked a Bible, and that's great. We're glad you're here. Um, we are going to study the book of Matthew, and we are going to think about each week the heart of the king. The heart of the king and why that matters for your life. Some of you are like, that's weird. We live in a democracy. No, we're going to study the heart of the king and why it matters for you. And I'll start us off by asking this. How many of you, well, I'll also say this. Uh, my phone number is on your sheet. If anything I say tonight, tonight makes you think and you want to dialogue with me, you have a question, you don't like something I said, shoot me a text and I will dialogue with those questions after I finish up. Um, so as we start in tonight, I'm going to ask how many of y'all watched the Olympics a couple weeks ago? Anyone? One, two, three, a couple, most of you. Okay, that's great. So uh, they finally happened, which was exciting. And um, one of the, you know, what was the big, one of the big stories of the Olympics was Simone Biles and her electing not to compete for most of her events um, and the decision that was around that, her mental health. And regardless of what you think of her decision, um, kind of everyone can recognize that, like, everyone knows that she's still the best gymnast there ever was, even if she didn't compete. Like, she's just the best, and no one else can compete with her. Um, she's the GOAT. She's the greatest of all time. Her medal count, her world championship titles, like no one comes even close to matching her. She pulls off moves that everyone else just says, like no human should be able to pull this off, right? And uh, so that, that you know, if, if, if there's really no competition, and even when she doesn't compete, everybody knows there's no competition, 
it begs the question, like, what motivates her? Like, if it's not winning, <laughs> what motivates her? What's, what's at the core of her love for gymnastics? And uh, I, I watched this interview with her a couple of years ago, and, and they said, what motivates you? Like, why do you want to compete if it's not to be the best? Because we all know you're already the best. And she said something really interesting. She said she competes, uh, her, her, what motivates her to compete is her own in internal drive to push her to be as good as she's capable of. She says, I don't care what everyone else thinks. I just want to be as good as I'm capable of. Her heart desire, what motivates her, is to be the best gymnast that she is capable of being. And I, I was interested by that because I think about whenever any of you and I see someone who's remarkable, a professor, a parent, maybe a boss, someone who we look up to and say, that is an excellent or noteworthy, unique person, we wonder, wonder what motivates them. Why do they get up in the morning? Like, why do those people wake up at 4 or 5 a.m. and just grind all day and then go to bed at 11 and do that? What motivates them? And, and why are they so excellent? Why do they endure adversity? And, I, and this semester, I want to ask the question, what motivates Jesus? What motivates Jesus? What motivates the God of the Bible? What is the motor behind the God of the Bible? What is his deepest core? And, and second of all, here's the important question. Why does it matter? Because Jesus Christ is this person who presumably actually definitely lived 2,000 years ago, had a huge impact in history, but does what motivates him matter today in 2021 in college at New Mexico State in Las Cruces? And so uh, what, let, well, that's what we're going to look at. Some of you have real doubts about this question. Some of you have doubts about religion and Christianity for good reason. You've had really bad experiences, maybe with pastors or parents or priests. Uh, some of those bad experiences have made you question, like, is faith even an option for me? Can I believe in a biblical God when his followers do such hurtful things? And to you, I would say, let's go back to the source, the heart of Jesus. Now, some of you are here tonight because you are Christians, and you want to grow, and you see your peers singing songs and doing awesome things for God, and you say, I can't do that. How can I possibly measure up? Or maybe that was me in high school, but I can't keep it up anymore. I can't be this Christian thing anymore. And to you I say, let's go back to the heart of Jesus. And some of you do want to grow in your faith. Some of you are maybe read your Bible three times today already. Maybe some of you have been praying as you've been thinking about class and you're doing it. And to you I would say, let's go back to the heart of Jesus. Each one of us, doesn't matter how we're coming into this room tonight, doubting or believing or somewhere in between, we have to, we, we must go back to the heart of Jesus Christ. And so that's what, I'm, that's what I want you to do, is if you're spiritually searching, whatever you are, we're going back to the heart of, the Jesus, of Jesus. And tonight, that's what we're going to do. We're going to start off by looking at what motivates Jesus. And so I'm going to read this passage from the Bible. It's in your handouts, and then I'm going to make some comments on it. So this is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This is God's word. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Jesus, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, 
For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the Lord, the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but knew her not until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray real quick. Father in heaven, um, Lord, I pray that as we look at your word, as we study it, uh, that you would speak in and through this, that you would be in our presence in this room, and that you would be glorified in it. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so I think this passage tonight shows us one thing, one main thing, and it's this, that the plan and the names of the king show us the heart of the king. The plan and the names of the king show us the heart of the king. And so I want to look at each of those things, the name of the king, the plan of the king, and the heart of the king. And then always, always, why does it matter to you? Why does it matter to you? And you should be asking that question of me. Text me that question. So let's look at these things in turn. The name of the king, the plan of the king, and the heart of the king. So the first thing, the name of the king. Now, the name of the king, names have meanings, right? We all know this. Many of you probably have names that your parents gave you because they, I mean, they just, they, they picked a name that they liked the meaning. They picked, they're like, this name has something that's significant to our family. It means something to us as a couple. Whatever it was, names have meaning. And in Jesus' case, then the meaning of Jesus' name starts to show us his heart. So, let's look at verse 18 here. Verse 18, what's happening? Some of you know, what's, know this story. Um, Jesus' birth came about this way. There was a woman who was, being, uh, who was betrothed or engaged to uh, Joseph. And uh, she, before they could uh, be married and before they could have sex, it comes out that she's expecting, that she has a baby. And uh, that's kind of a scandal in all cultures because it's cheating. <laughs> um, but it was definitely a scandal back when Jesus was uh, back in this time because it was effectively the same way as like cheating on your spouse. Um, and so just not like accepted, not socially you know, smiled upon. And so um, nobody likes the idea of their fiance sleeping with another person, right? And um, so Joseph, he's like, well, I don't want to totally toast her reputation, but I don't feel like I can marry this woman. I'm just going to quietly divorce her, and we'll kind of just go our separate ways. And that's where they start to get interesting. So before he can pull that off, he has a dream. And in the dream, an angel comes to him and says, hey, uh, there's more happening underneath the surface than you realize. Actually, the, your fiance is pregnant, but it's it's miraculous, and no other word for it but miraculous. It's the Holy Spirit who has given her a baby. And, the, and, and as the angel describes in his dream, verse 20, the angel gives Joseph, and, and he gives us kind of a peek behind the curtain of what God is doing. And he says, things are not as they seem. It seems like Mary's been unfaithful, but actually what is happening is God is working in the most amazing way that God has ever worked in the lives of human beings. And so he says, your, your, your fiancé is pregnant with a boy, and you will, when he is born, you will give him the name Jesus. And so the first name of the king, verse 21, he says, Where is it? She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So he says, hey, when this boy comes, you're going to supposed to give him, you can't pick the name. You're giving him a very specific name, Jesus. 
And, and, uh, and, and he, he gives a reason for it. He says, he will save his people from their sins. And some of you might know that the name Jesus is the Greek translation of the Hebrew name Joshua. And the, jo- and the Hebrew name Joshua means God will save means God will save. And so Jesus' name is basically the angel telling Joseph exactly what Jesus will do. He's going to be named Jesus because of what he will do. And it tells us explicitly, for or because, he will save his people from their sins. Now what does that start to tell us? It tells us that Jesus' name points us to Jesus' mission. Jesus' name points us to Jesus' mission, which is to save his people from their sins. Jesus didn't come to save people from political oppression. Jesus didn't come to save people from poverty. Jesus didn't come to save people from depression, although all of those things are wrapped up in what Jesus does. Jesus' first and primary reason for coming is to save his people, to save, if it matters to you and me, which I'll try to make the case, Save you and me from our sins. Jesus saves his people from his sins. And we're going to cycle back to that in a second. But he gives them a second name. Second name, verse 23. He says, uh, verse 22, All these things took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. And so he's saying, basically, he's saying, there's going to be a second name attached to this king, and it's Emmanuel. And we get this, again, we get another sneak peek in this, which Emmanuel translated from Hebrew means God with us. God with us. And so, again, Matthew's filling out, he's telling us, hey, the names of Jesus have special meaning. They point us to what Jesus is going to do, and they point us to his heart. And it says... Jesus' name is God with us, which says that Jesus is not just another man, not not just another really upstanding, you know, moral person who came to show us how to be better people. He says, no, Jesus is God himself. Somehow miraculously come down in time and space, putting on a body like what you and I have and walking with us. Jesus is God with flesh and bones. Everything that is God is and was present with Jesus. And everything about a human man is and, present, is, is and was God. And the longer you sit on that, the longer it will begin to cook your noodle. But also, the longer, the more, sit in that and all of a sudden Christianity takes on new beauty and new relevance and new meaning. And I'm going to try and flesh that in a second. Jesus' name shows us what God is about. So when we combine these names that Jesus is the one who saves his people and Jesus is God with us, what do we have? We have God coming down to earth into your and my mess to save us from our worst sins, to save us from our worst addictions, to save us from our worst behaviors, to save us from the things that are seeking to destroy your and my life. Picture the one thing in your life that you're like, I cannot get free from this. Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's a class, maybe it's something. Jesus has come to save you and me from sin and everything that seeks to harm you and me. That's, that's the names of Jesus. That's the names of Jesus. We're going to stay with me, okay? So first we see the name of the king. Second, we look at the plan of the king. 
the plan of the king. Look again at what the angel's words are to Joseph. First, the angel says, don't worry about Mary. She's not cheated. She's pregnant by the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. But then verse 22, she says, the angel says, and hey, this is all a part of God's big plan. Verse 22, I read it before. I won't read it again. He says, all of this took place to fulfill what happened in the prophet. And so here, I, Matthew starts giving us commentary. And he says, what's happening to Mary? What's happening to you? God has been planning this. God has been planning this for a very long time. And then he quotes a section of the Old Testament, specifically the book of Isaiah. Now, hang in, put your thinking caps on, but this is incredible. I hope you see how this cool is. This. He says, hey, Isaiah, who wrote 700 years before Jesus was going to be born, Isaiah said, hey, there's going to be coming a person. There's going to be a woman who has a baby, and his name is God with us. So what's going on here? In short, Matthew and the angel are telling us that right now, Matthew, I mean, Mary getting pregnant is a piece of, is the piece of God's plan of redemption. The, it is the piece of, piece of God's plan. Now, how do plans work? How does a model work? A plan or a model, it's the anticipation of what the, the future thing will work. How many of you have gotten stuck in traffic on university in the last week? I know I have. I remember before that stupid thing got torn up, you could go up and down university in like two and a half minutes. And now the traffic like backs up like all the way and it's an absolute pain. Well, a couple of years ago, the city posted this map on the, uh, on, on the Las Cruces forum saying, hey, here's the plan for what we're going to do to university. We're going to shred it and we're going to try and make it better again. And, uh, the, what they, and, the, and they said, but here's the model. And they actually built this model, and I went and looked at it because it's really close to my house. And I was like, is this going to wreck my commute or something like that? And so they had this little model. It was about the size of this room of what I-25 and university and all those roads were going to look like. And it gave us the expectation of what it was going to look like. Well, in the same way, the Old Testament is the model. It's the plan of what God is doing. And, in, and, and we get a piece of that in Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7, uh, if you remember, the ancient Israelites were being threatened by an invading army, right? So they had this invading army that was coming to wipe them out, that was going to destroy them. And God tells the Israelite king that he, he says, hey, if you trust me, this army won't invade you. And here's, my, here's why I'm going to, this is why I promise it's going to happen. A woman is going to have a baby boy and you're going to name him God with us. That's my down payment. Here's the proof of God keeping his promises to not just to destroy the Israelites. And that happens in Isaiah 7. But it's only the plan. But it says that God has been working and planning to save his people by dwelling among them for a long time. It's not like God woke up one day and said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put Jesus in Mary. That's a great idea. No! God had been planning to send his son to save his people from their sin, to dwell with his people from the beginning. God has been planning to save even possibly you and me. Definitely when you trust in Christ, save you from your worst sins, save you from everything that seeks to hurt you. And so when we skip over those thousands of years, Matthew says here, hey, God is keeping his promises. God is keeping his plan to save his people. He says God is keeping his plan by sending a, a son to a virgin. The events in Matthew, they're not just hap they don't just happen all of a sudden spring out. No, God is acting inconsistently with what is acting inconsistent with 
with what he's been planning the whole time. God has had a plan for thousands of years to save and protect and live with his people. And when you trust in him, then God has a plan to save and protect and live with you forever. That's what being a Christian is. That's what, and so that's what Matthew tells us, is the plan of the king that, that God has been orchestrating all of history, every moment in history to save his people. Now, why does this matter? All this stuff about God's plan, blah, blah, blah. What's the rub? Give me the, come on. The, the plan reveals the heart. The plan reveals the heart. How many of y'all, are, are any of y'all in here want to study animal science? Anyone? A couple of you maybe want to study animal science. How many of y'all want to do social work? How many of y'all, whatever your degree is, the plan to study reveals the heart of what you want to do, right? What's your plan? I was just talking with somebody. He's like, I want to do entrepreneurship. I bet I know, I have an idea of what, his, what, his, what, he, what he loves, what he desires. Whatever, whatever you're planning on, that's what you love to do. Now smash that into what God is doing. God has been planning for hundreds and thousands of years to, for nothing less than to save you from your sin and to dwell in, with, and among you. What does that say about his heart? What does it say about what motivates the God of the Bible? He's not distant. He's not callous. It means that he's working everything out to love you because he loves you. The plan reveals the heart. Matthew 1 shows us that God has always had a plan for his people, and that plan has always been good to save and restore and love his people. If you're his son or his daughter by faith, then you. That's, I mean, that's amazing. How sweet is that? That the God of the Bible, the God who has been creating, has created everything we are, has been working everything out to love you. I mean, that's, that's incredible. If you carry that into your week, I think that, I mean, I think it could change, change everything. I hope you see how amazing it is. I hope that you can grow with me into entrusting yourself to God's plan. So for some of you, that means, that means entrusting God's plan with your future. Maybe you're trying to get into dental school. Maybe you're trying to get, in, get, a, get a certain job. Maybe for some of you, entrusting yourself to God's plan is in your present with family drama. Maybe with romantic drama. If Matthew 1 is true, then that means God is somehow working his plan out for your good in the present drama that you're in. Maybe for some of you it's in your past. Something painful in your past that just, it happened, it seems impossible. Matthew says that tonight when you're a Christian, God works redemptively, healingly, if that's a word, in your story to restore, redeem, renew even the things that have happened in the past. And that plan starts in Jesus. So what do we see here? We first we see the names of the king. Second, we see the plan of the king. If we slam those two together, then we get the heart of the king. Third point, the heart of the king. The name of the king, the heart of the the name of the king, the plan of the king, they give us the heart of the king. There are so many times in my life when I question God's heart. I'm a pastor. <laughs> I'm a Christian pastor, and there are still times when I think, God, there's no way God is trustworthy. There's no way that he's worthy of my trust. 
And I know that's happened to you. I know that's happened in the last year with online school, with family getting sick, with financial aid crumbling. With, there's just times where you say, man, if there's somebody upstairs, he's got it out for me. I cannot trust this guy. And we ask, why did this thing happen? And in college, I remember that major moment for me was a really painful breakup. I'd been dating this woman for almost four years, and when we broke up, I was devastated. And I was like, there's no way I can trust God ever again. Because this is just too painful. What's that thing for you? There's this moment we ask, is God good? Is his heart actually trustworthy? And this, as I was thinking about this this week, it's made me think about parenting. I have a two-year-old daughter. Her name is Phoebe. And um, there's many times I just know it. my daughter wonders if Daddy is actually good. <laughs> so right now, the current iteration of that is when I turn off Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. She'll be binge-watching Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. And I'll just say, like, hey, you need to, we need to go eat dinner. We need to go do... And, she's, and I turn off Mickey Mouse Clubhouse... And the waterworks and the hysteria that come out of her are just unmatched. Just crying, sobbing, and she's just like, Daddy, no, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, why would you take this away from me? And she, you know, I'm just being, I'm just being a cruel dad for taking away Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. And I think often, I am like my daughter with God's heart. I'm just like, you're just being cruel to me. <laughs> Who do you think you are? Like... And I'm just, I'm mad and I'm sad. Bad things happen. I wonder, is God good? But my daughter is more trusting than I am. You know what she does when I turn off Mickey Mouse Clubhouse? She's so cute. She cries and then she comes up and climbs into my arms and she says, I got you, Daddy. I got you, Daddy. And the reason she says that is because for the last two years of her life, when she hurts herself or when she's scared, I pick her up and I hold her close and I say, I got you. I got you. And she's learned that I got you is the language of trust. And she's learned that when, she's, when I'm holding her, when she's holding me, that even when she's wondering, is daddy good? That she says, I got you. I got you. I'm going to trust you. Even in moments when I don't know if you're trustworthy, I got you, daddy. She knows that I have her good at heart. She's repeating the words of love back to me. And in fact, she's saying, I trust you, even if I wonder if you're good in this moment. That's childlike faith, y'all. And God proves his goodness to us over and over and over again. Just like I try to love my daughter imperfectly, so that when the bad things happen, she still says, I got you. God has proven his love to you and me over and over and over again. His names, Jesus will save. You know where Jesus proved that he saves? 2,000 years ago on a cross, he died because he loves you. His name, Emmanuel, which is God with us. God coming down to earth and walking on a dirty hill that looks a lot more like a mountain than we know of, because he loves you. His plan that God has been weaving together since the beginning of time, possibly bringing you into this room, because he loves you. That's, that's the heart of God at work, friends. God proves his heart to you in his names and his plan, and none of that is more clear than in the person and in the work of Jesus. That's what this passage shows us, is that he doesn't have it out for us when you're his trusting, his when you're his trusting child. 
He's got you. He says, I got, he says, I got you. Each of us desperately needs in our hearts to see the heart of the king. We need to see the heart of the king. Some of you have been Christians for a long time. You need to see Jesus' great love for you. Some of you grew up in communities of faith, and now you're in college, and you're like, do I want to keep doing this? Do I, I don't know, Friday night? I, you need to see the heart of the king. Some of you have been deeply hurt by religion. Let me implore you. Don't let a hurtful thing that happened back then distract you from the heart of the king who loves you. Some of you have never heard anything like this before. <laughs> this is brand new. To you I say, keep coming. Read a Bible. We've got a couple of them back here. Get to know the heart of the king. In the heart of the king, the heart of Jesus, we encounter love and mercy, free gifts of grace, and all that you need to say is, I want that. If he's got me, I want him. I trust that love. I renounce my own attempts to, to earn love. And I want to entrust myself to the heart of the king. He's got you. Trust him. And he will prove himself good. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, um, thanks for this piece of the Bible. Um, for how it continues to speak to our hearts today. I pray that you would be with us. That you would show us how you've got us in the person and the work of Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.